reading is from 1 Corinthians chapter 13, uh, verses 1 to 13. Claire's going to read that to us today. So if you'd like to turn to 1 Corinthians 13. I was looking for you, Claire. I couldn't see you. I'm thinking, I might be doing the reading today. (laughs) Good morning. Okay. So the Bible reading today is, um, yeah, 1 Corinthians 13. um, 113. In this Bible, with the white on the front, it's page 1153. And in the other Bible, in the pew, it is on page 813. Okay, love. And now I will show the most excellent way. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains but have no, not love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and surrender my body to the flames but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It is not rude. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no records of wrong. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails, but where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part. But when perfection comes, the imperfect disappears. When I was a child, I talked like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put childish ways behind me. Now we see but a poor reflection as as in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. And now these three things remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. All right, let's pray. <clears throat> uh, gracious Father, <clears throat> we want to thank you so much for the joy that we have uh, in Jesus because he really does rock the world. He's changed our lives and he's given us the hope of eternity. Thank you so much for that. And we pray, Lord, as uh, we look at your word now, that um, by your Holy Spirit that you would give us, give us um, that, that we would be filled with all um, spiritual wisdom and understanding that we would live lives that are worthy of you. And we pray these things now in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, So what does it mean to be a truly spiritual um, Christian? Uh, What does it mean to be a truly spiritual church? Uh, This is an issue which I think does cause uh, some degree of um, confusion amongst uh, Christians. Especially when being uh, truly spiritual is is defined by the presence of uh, certain abilities uh, or the absence of certain uh, God-given abilities. Um, So that some churches are considered to be more spiritual and and other churches are considered to be somewhat less spiritual. And in some ways, I think that the confusion is uh, is understandable because of the fact that God gives gifts to the church 
and some of those gifts can be quite impressive. But is that which makes is, is it that which makes a person or, or a church um, somehow more spiritual, uh, or is it something different to that? Uh, this is an issue which the Apostle Paul uh, addresses in the section of 1 Corinthians that we're looking at over these few weeks, from uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 12 uh, through to 1 Corinthians chapter 14. And as we resumed our series on 1 Corinthians last week, we, uh, we did look at that um, opening chapter on this section, which was chapter 12. And next week we're going to start looking at chapter 14. This week we get to deal with chapter 13. But before we do that, I think it's worth, our, worth reminding ourselves of what kind of church the Corinthian church was. Because that's important for understanding the context of this chapter on love. Um, so can, can I get you to come with me back to chapter 3 of 1 Corinthians? If you open up your Bibles, um, go to chapter 3 of 1 Corinthians. And uh, let me just... Let's just recap, shall we? Uh, what kind of a church were they? Uh, well, uh, chapter 3, verses 1 through to 4. Uh, Paul says to the Corinthians, he says, Brothers, I could not address you as spiritual, but as worldly, mere infants in Christ. I gave you milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. Indeed, you are still not ready. Uh, you are still worldly. For since there is jealousy and quarrelling among you, are you not worldly? Are you not acting like mere men? For when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, are you not mere men? I think we'll finish it up there. But I want you to think about it. Uh, how, how spiritual were the Corinthians? It doesn't seem that they were very spiritual, does it? Um, not very spiritual at all. Um, in fact, Paul says that they were immature. Um, they were jealous and they argued because they were divided. They, had, they, had, they were divided because they had clustered themselves uh, around particular favourite preachers. Not that the preachers wanted that, but some were following Paul, some were following Apollos. Uh, and indeed, as we look through um, chapters 1 through to 11 of 1 Corinthians earlier this year, uh, we saw that there was a truckload of issues. There was a truckload of unspirituality within the Corinthian church. Let, let's think about those. They, they valued their preachers more on the basis of the eloquence of their speech uh, rather than on their fidelity uh, to gospel truth. Uh, they, uh, they tolerated sexual immorality in the church. Even sexual immorality of a type that even the pagans found was re repulsive. Uh, and they were proud of that. Um, there was a member of the church who was taking another member of the church uh, to court, suing him for money. Imagine that happening within our congregation here. A dreadful thing. Uh, we saw how they, because of some super spirituality uh, that they thought that they'd kind of arrived somehow that they were actually uh, devaluing marriage they had devalued marriage and 
Uh, whilst they had the right to eat certain foods that had been offered up to idols, whilst not actually indulging in the idolatry, they flaunted that right, uh, eating food offered up to idols, irrespective of the, uh, the temptation that that put to the weaker brother or sister who believed that to do so would be sinful and thus possibly causing that weaker brother or sister to fall. Um, at their church meals, like church meal we'll be having next, next uh, Sunday, uh, there were some members of the congregation, more wealthy members of the congregation, who humiliated others in the church because they were, they were feasting on plenty of food uh, whilst the person next to them was going hungry because they actually didn't, not too poor, they didn't have food and they weren't even bothering to share with them. And so, uh, this is a picture of, this was a deeply unspiritual church. Uh, in fact, it's probably the most unspiritual church in the whole of the, of the New Testament. I could not address you as spiritual, says Paul, but as worldly, mere infants in Christ. So, that's a bit of a summary of uh, the Corinthian church. Now, we know that uh, the Corinthians <coughs> had... Not, it wasn't just that Paul had written a letter to them, uh, that uh, before he wrote this letter, that they have written a letter to him. And we don't have that letter, uh, but he addresses some of the issues which they have raised with him in this letter. And, and it seems that each time uh, throughout 1 Corinthians... Uh, where a section of the letter commences with the words, now about, that Paul is then addressing a matter which they have asked him about in their letter to him. Uh, as in last week in chapter, one, uh, chapter 12, verse 1, Paul says, uh, now about spiritual things, brothers... I do not want you to be ignorant. That is, uh, it seems that they have raised the matter with him about spiritual things. Although that's not quite what many English translations say, is it? If you have a look at chapter 12, verse 1 in your pew Bibles, um, it doesn't say that. Uh, it doesn't say spiritual things in your pew Bibles even though that is what the original Greek says. Uh, instead, in our pew Bible, uh, they translate the word for spiritual things as, what does it say in chapter 12, verse 1? Spiritual? Spiritual gifts. And the reason they do that is because uh, Paul also speaks uh, in this section about gifts which God has given to the church. He speaks about, they've raised the issue of spiritual things. Paul also speaks about gifts. And so what the translators have done is that they have assumed that spiritual things must therefore mean spiritual gifts. And so they insert the word gifts into the translation. And especially they would do that because gifts are given by God. Gifts are given 
by his spirit. Um, but that's not what, the, what, what Paul wrote. Uh, in fact, uh, in the original Greek, the actual term spiritual gifts does not occur anywhere in the whole of 1 Corinthians. It's not there. And I think that's, uh, that's an issue. Uh, Paul instead uses the broader term saying now about spiritual things. And why is that important? Uh, why do I, I make this, this point? Because spiritual things uh, is, is actually broader. Uh, it's bigger. It's a, it's a more encompassing topic than just the particular abilities which God has given to the church by His Spirit. And that's something, that bigger picture has got a lot to do with love. And so we come to chapter 13, um, which is one of the most cherished passages in the whole of the, the Bible, isn't it? And, and for good reason, because it's, it's so beautiful. And yet, uh, it hasn't just been plonked into this letter uh, by Paul as a kind of a feel-good interlude between all of the other negative stuff that he's saying. Um, Paul is actually... Correcting their thinking about spiritual things. That's what he's doing here. That's the topic that he's addressing. So let's have a look at it. Chapter 13, verse 1. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I'm only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge... And if I have faith that can move mountains but have not love, I'm nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and surrender my body to the flames but have not love, I gain nothing. Now, here Paul mentions three things. Firstly, the ability to speak in the tongues of men and of angels. Um, tongues, by the way, is just an old English word uh, which simply means other languages. And I'm going to say more about that next week in chapter 14, uh, which deals a lot with tongues. Uh, but just to um, give you a little bit of a foretaste of that, I actually think it means something quite different uh, to what Christians commonly understand uh, tongues to mean. But more of that next week. He also mentions prophecy. And interestingly, the word gift um, is not there in the original Greek. Um, Paul didn't say that if I have the gift of prophecy, he just simply says, if I prophesy. I uh, don't want to make too much of that. Uh, but he finally also mentions faith. I think the big point here is, and you might have noticed it, that he's not, just, he's not talking about just tongues or just prophecy or just faith. No, there's, a, there's this, this contrast that's going on in what he's, what he's saying. Uh, he's talking about tongues, uh, prophecy and faith kind of big time. Because what, what are the tongues... He says, if, if I speak in the tongues of men or the languages of men, and even if I speak in the, the languages of angels, uh, or um, 
If I prophesy and I can, and I can fathom all mysteries and have all knowledge, and if I've got the kind of faith can, it's so powerful that it can actually move mountains. In other words, if my abilities are the greatest abilities that you could possibly imagine, and yet I do not have love, then what am I? Nothing. I'm nothing. It's meaningless. God may have given a person an ability, um, but, but I can use that ability in my church, or I can use that ability in church, rather, without love for others. Uh, I might be the most gifted musician uh, in Port Macquarie, I might be the most impressive preacher. I might be the, um, the most intellectual thinker about the Bible or the, the greatest strategic planner, uh, which might be all good things which could benefit the church. But if I look down on other people, if I'm rude, or, or if I'm seeking my own benefit, or if I'm divisive, all that stuff that was going on in Corinth, then I'm nothing. I'm just a resounding symbol. I'm just a clanging gong, as Paul says. Even if I were to give over my whole life, even if I was to become a martyr, and if I gave all and everything I had to the poor and gave over my life even to death, but did so without love, I gained nothing. It's meaningless. I may be able to recite a, a long list of things that I've done for the church over many, many years, of hundreds and hundreds of hours and huge effort that I've gone into, but you can do all of that without love. It can be self-serving and it amounts to nothing in the eyes of God. And it damages the church. See, all of these things can be happening <coughs> in congregational life and it, uh, you might actually you know, develop a very impressive church. It might look very spectacular. But I want to be, belong to a church where people love one another, don't you? Is that what it's about? You see, to be truly spiritual, it's less about the gift that I've received and it's more about the love um, by which I serve. And Christian love is, is a very special kind of love, isn't it? Um, we use the word love in different ways. Um, <coughs> uh, people talk about falling in love or, or uh, making love. Uh, the love that I have for chocolate is somewhat different to the love that I have for my wife. Um, yeah, sort of, you know. <laughs> You'll be pleased to know that. Um, look, the, the word that's, the Greek word that's translated as love here is a very particular word. Some of you probably know it. It's the word agape. And it's not just about liking something. It's not just about um, affection. It's a, it's a deeply, it's a, it's a love which is a deeply sacrificial love. 
Uh, it, it is a love which is, uh, it, it may be accompanied by emotions, it may not be, uh, but it is a love which is, uh, which is evidenced by, by actions which are for the benefit of the other person. Uh, that, that's the kind of love that Paul, that's the word that he's using here. And, and it's, it's actions for the benefit of the other person, regardless of whether, whether the other person actually deserves that good thing to be done for them. It's the same word that um, is used of God's love for us, um, which, for example, in one... Uh, have a listen to 1 John chapter 4 for a moment. Uh, just listen. Uh, 1 John 4 says, this is how God showed his love amongst us, his agape love amongst us. Uh, how did that? Well, he sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. You see the kind of love that it is? It's self-giving, sacrificial love, which we see expressed in the Lord Jesus Christ. Because in the death of Jesus for our forgiveness, well, that is the very definition of sacrificial love because he did it for us. And which means, as John goes on to say, that this therefore is how we now should love one another. And, and Paul spells this out in, uh, in chapter 13 of 1 Corinthians from verse 4 onwards. So let me read that for you. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud, it is not rude, it is not self-seeking, it is not easily angered, it keeps no record of wrongs, love does not delight in evil but rejoices with the truth, it always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Now, this is, this is great material, isn't it? This is excellent material for those, you know, those Christian posters that you can buy down Kurong that have got this like picture of a little fluffy puppy dog or a you know, newly born chicken out of the egg and, and has this, I don't know what relevant, that, how that's relevant to the actual verse, but you know what I mean, don't you? It's, you know, lovely stuff to have hanging in your, you know, bathroom door on the inside, that sort of thing, so you can meditate on it. Uh, wonderful description of love. And it's the opposite to Corinth. Paul had, has just spent 11 chapters rebuking the Corinthians for their jealousy, for their, their bragging, for their, their pride, um, for their disgraceful behaviour, for their, their keeping a record of wrongs. My goodness, there was a man taking another man to court. That's not just keeping a record of wrongs, that's doing something about the wrong, isn't it? Um, they rejoiced over unrighteousness proud of the fact that there was someone in the church who was in a progressive relationship um, with his father's wife. I'm proud of those things. And so this, therefore, may have actually been an uncomfortable list for the Corinthians to be reading. And yet, 
What about us? I mean, there's a, it's, it sort of personifies love there, doesn't it? And, and you could take out the word love and put in the word Jesus. And I think it would fit beautifully. Because that is who Jesus is. That is what Jesus was like. Um, we can... How about if we took out the word love and put your na own name in there? Now, I won't do that for anyone in the congregation. Well, we could find someone. Who, who's not here today? We'd insert... No, let's... Um, Benjamin Shahita. <laughs> let's put my name in it, shall we? Let's put name in it so that it reads, Scott is patient. Scott is kind. Scott does not envy. Scott does... Well, you know what, friends? At some point in this list it starts to get embarrassing for me. In fact, right from the outset, Scott is patient. Because I can tell you, Scott is not always patient as I should be. And the same would be true for many of us. Uh, none of us is as loving as we should be. None of us is as like Jesus as we should be. And that's why we need Jesus. That's why we need a saviour. But now that we have a saviour who has given himself in love to us so sacrificially, then we reflect on the gospel. We reflect on Jesus' love for us. And as we reflect on what Jesus has done for us, then these characteristics, as we put off the old self and clothe ourselves with Christ, that these characteristics of love should become more who we are. And as a church corporately, should be the DNA of our church. The very culture and ethos, the DNA, deeper than that, the DNA of who we are as a church. To be people who do not have a need to prove ourselves by putting down the other um, or by being boastful. Because we know that we're already accepted by God on the basis of being forgiven sinners. And so we accept one another. We do have no need to prove ourselves, but instead we can be intentional in our deliberate loving of the other person. Not being self-centred, but rather being other person-centred. Because that's true spirituality, will be to be embracing the gospel of Jesus and living that out in our lives. True spirituality is much more than just the gifts. Now, let me put this a little bit more <coughs> clearly. Um, <coughs> if we as a church, had lots and lots and lots of gifts but had no love, that'd be dreadful. That'd be, you know, we, but, but yet on the other hand, uh, if we had no gifts but we had lots and lots of Christ-like love, then I'd, that'd be much better, wouldn't it? That would be the more excellent way. Thankfully, though, it's not an either-or situation. <laughs> and God has given our church you know, wonderful gifts of gifted people. He gives us gifts, though, to be used in love.
because love is much better. Love is the more excellent way. And love is also permanent. Um, Take a look at verse 8. Love never fails, but where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part, but when perfection comes, the imperfect disappears. When I was a child, I talked like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put childish ways behind me. Now we see but a poor reflection as in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, and then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. You think to yourself, what's, what's Paul talking about there? What's he on about? Think about it this way. Some of the Christian, uh, some of the Corinthians, I think it's back in chapter 4 where we see it, some of the Corinthians had wrongly uh, taken the view that they had achieved a superior spirituality than, than others in the church, that like they were sort of in heaven now. And that was something which affected their views on marriage and singleness. But they were wrong. They'd not achieved it now. <laughs> uh, there is a time, there will be a time, <coughs> when all who are in Christ will be made spiritually perfect. And that is when we are raised with Christ at the resurrection. That which Paul has a lot to say about when we get to chapter 15. Incredible chapter on the resurrection of Jesus. But let me just share with you a couple of verses from that because I think it's relevant to the point he's making here. In verse 43 of chapter 15, he he talks about our bodies and he says that the body which is sown in dishonour, in sin, will be raised in glory, perfected. Or in verse 49... And just as we have been born, uh, as we have borne the likeness of the earthly man, Adam, so we will bear the likeness of the man from heaven, who is Jesus. So that's our future. That there is a day when perfection comes for all of us, spiritual perfection. But it's not yet. And as we wait for that time, how does God help us? He helps us by giving us gifts, like the gift of prophecy, so that we can know God, so we can know uh, who He is and who we are and what He's done for us, and we can know of that judgment that is to come and the salvation that we can find in Christ, and we can honour God by the way that we live in response to that. So He gives us the gift of prophecy, or He gives us gifts like other languages, so that p- people from no matter who you are, no matter where you come from, no matter what nation, what race, what language you can speak, you can hear about the gospel of Jesus. And many other gifts. The, the plethora of gifts which he gives to the church so as to sustain us and so as to help us to grow as Christians until that day... When Jesus comes back again, and that'll be a moment of great change for us. It's like the knowledge of God which we have now, uh, 
is sufficient. It's sufficient for salvation. It's sufficient for living a godly life. But when we are raised in glory, well, it's the difference in verse 11 between <coughs> the knowledge that we have as a child compared to the knowledge that we have as an adult. Or, or to put it another way in verse 12, it's like now we're looking at God's reflection through a mirror, but on that day we'll see him face to face. It's the difference between looking at a photograph of someone and actually meeting them. We will know God perfectly then, just as he knows us perfectly now, says Paul. And so the question then is, well, <clears throat> when that happens, when we're actually face to face with God, when we're in the heavenly, will we need gifts such as prophecy or gifts such as languages or gifts such as the gift of knowledge? we need them no we won't they'll be gone says Paul we won't need those gifts because we will actually know God face to face in completeness now in our church we must never elevate gifts over love uh, regardless of what the gifts are be they some kind of spectacular, miraculous gifts or other gifts which we in our world today admire more or just the more common gifts. We must not elevate gifts over love because when we do, <coughs> we may produce <coughs> something which is impressive in the eyes of the world but we'll be superficial because we will not embody the very gospel that we proclaim. And there's something very, very hollow about that, like a resounding gong or just a clanging cymbal. And like some of you, I, <coughs> I guess I've experienced uh, what that is like, um, being in church when that's been the case, and it's, it's disappointing. Um, be at the church with the gifted power broker who uh, pushes other people out of their way to achieve their vision for church uh, or the boutique church where everyone's welcome but only certain people are truly valued. I could not address you as spiritual, says Paul, but as worldly, mere infants in Christ. But when the sacrificial love of Jesus truly flows through our lives, that's different to that, isn't it? Because God is honoured. And the gifts that he has blessed us with are put to their rightful use for the benefit of others, for the building up of the body of Christ in godliness. I think it's ironic, <coughs> pardon me, that some Christians, even some Christians even turn to 1 Corinthians as for the blueprint, for the model of true spirituality, particularly chapter 14. But Paul sums it up very differently 
in the last verse of our chapter today, in verse 13. Have a look at what he says. And now these three remain, faith, hope and love. And what does he mean by that? I mean, what's he saying? These are, these are the core values. These are the things which are most important of all. Faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Hope for the resurrection and that time when we will be lifted up in glory. And love. Love for God and love for one another. So no matter wh what else we might have, uh, if we don't have faith, hope and love, then it amounts to nothing. But which is the greatest? Well, he goes on to say that the greatest of these is love. Why is that so? Why is love greater than faith? Why is love greater than hope? Well, because in heaven, we won't even need the gift of faith. Because faith <coughs> is trusting in something that you know, haven't necessarily received in perfection. Hope is looking forward to something which you haven't yet received in perfection. But in glory, we will have all of the promises of God fulfilled. There'll be no need for faith. No need for hope. But there's going to be plenty of love. Love amazing. Love indescribable. Love incomprehensible. Love forever. Love remains. So what Paul is saying here is let's be doing that now um, because love is the most excellent way. Let's pray. Father, we want to thank you for your um, very special love in giving us the Lord Jesus Christ. As undeserved as that was and as in incredibly sacrificial at such great cost to yourself father we pray that um, as the recipients of that um, incredible love uh, that we would embody it in our lives and in our church um, to your glory amen